Hi friend, if you love the information you hear in the podcast, then you will love the free mini series of videos that I've put together just for you. It's all about the biblical blueprint for health and teaches you exact principles I've taught to thousands of Christian women that result in weight loss, better sleep, increased energy, clearer skin, and sharper brains. You can go to thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries to grab this free set of short, powerful teachings that will show you how to create better health God's way. It's at thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries. Go check it out now. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I'm doing pretty darn fantastic because I am coming to you from Taos, New Mexico, and all my children are at camp. They're having a fabulous time. My husband and I are having a fabulous time here. It is so good. The only problem is, is I have a little bit of an allergy issue going on. So I apologize that uh, if I sound kind of raspy or manly, and also I'm not in my closet recording, I'm in this kind of big, uh, cadaverous, is that a word? <laughs> uh, room <laughs> with stucco walls. And so it might be kind of echoey. Um, but you know, I have started transitioning out of my carnivorous diet and I've been bringing more foods in and something did not agree with me. And I'm still trying to kind of unravel that, but it started with a throat tickle. So it was kind of subtle. And I just was like, oh, like clearing my throat a little bit more. And it turned into a full blown sore throat. And then I went into Ebenezer sneezer mode. And then I've just kind of had this junky stuffy nose for several days now. Um, And so that's what can happen. That is a totally normal reaction in when you eliminate foods and then you start bringing them back in. Um, But like I said, I'll talk about it more in a few weeks. Um, But that is why I sound kind of stuffy today. But anyway, it has not stopped me from having a wonderful time here. And it's been a pretty fabulous place to incorporate my earthing, you know, my grounding over the last week. I've been sinking my feet into some mountain terrain We've been swimming in some natural springs. I've had lots of barefoot time on the stones of the patio while having a cup of coffee or drinking a glass of wine. It has been wonderful. And the good news is I've been naturally doing the week three goal of the Genesis prescription, which is to get sun. My favorite You know how I like to talk about the sun, because sunshine on my shoulder makes me happy. (laughs) Do you know that John Denver song? It's like, sunshine almost always gets me high. I mean, John Denver was on to something, because sunshine 
does make you happy and get you high. It's called serotonin and endorphins, <laughs> happy chemicals that are released when you soak up the sun rays. Have you ever heard of um, seasonal affective disorder, abbreviated as SAD? Not to be confused with the SAD diet, the standard American diet, but seasonal affective disorder, also known as the winter blues. And it is a seasonal type of depression that affects a lot of people in the colder winter months. And much of that is due to lack of light exposure. So light does make us happy and high. You know, kind of like uh, when you spend a day at the beach, how you're just exhilarated and kind of exhausted after a full day. Um, but it's all those happy chemicals from the sunshine and the good electrical vibes from grounding in the sand in the ocean. It's your circadian rhythm working at its finest, you know? So sunshine and grounding are so healing. And luckily they go together like peas and carrots, because if you're outside grounding, you're outside being exposed to light rays and your body is taking in all of the sun formation that it needs to properly set your cortisol and melatonin for the day. So that's what we're, we're talking about today. We're diving into our uh, week three goal of the Genesis prescription, which is to soak in the sun. Now here's what's interesting and took me down a rabbit hole right from the beginning, because in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. That is Genesis 1-3. It's day one of creation. But he doesn't create the sun and the moon until day four. That doesn't come till Genesis 1-14. Now, most of us are familiar with Genesis. We've read the creation story and we've, you know, kind of likely recognized that distinction, you know. But as I was preparing all of the Bible verses for the Genesis prescription guide for my Christian Health Club members, I had to sit with this a little deeper, y'all, because first of all, it was throwing me all out of order. I was like, okay, well, the first thing God made was light. So should light be the first Genesis prescription goal? But then he didn't make the sun and the moon till day four. And so what light did he make on day one? Well, the Bible tells us that God is light. And that's what I've always understood the presence of the first light to be. It's him. I mean, obviously, right? The Bible tells us that in 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked around singing in him, there is no darkness at all. The day and the night are both alike. The lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, you had to hear me sing twice today, but um, that is one of the hymns we sing at church. And as I've been working on this all week, it's just been nigh on my heart and my tongue, as the Bible would say, um, which hasn't been all bad. It's been kind of nice, except maybe for you that had to hear me sing it. But anyway, in my heart and my mind, I've always known that God is the original source of light. But this week I had to really pause and sit in that distinction because he is clearly distinguishing order, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the entire electromagnetic spectrum of light would be created, but not before he established his presence as what always has been and what always will be. John 1, 1 through 5 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Love that. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, this is the ever-present light of our lives. This is the most important light for us to seek every day. So even though our Genesis prescription goal this week may be to seek the physical light of sun, never forget that the most important source of light for us to seek is the spiritual light of our soul. He comes first, always and forever. But interesting enough, as I was doing my due diligence, you know, when pulling all of this together, I came across a variety of opinions and speculation about that first light, um, that first light, both from scientific and theological points of view. And it took me down the deepest rabbit hole of photons and light waves and electromagnetic radiation, uh, which has been described as the glue of the universe that holds everything together. It is all way more than my pea brain could really take in and fit together. But the speculation was that this was the, the first light that God was referring to, okay? Um, that he was laying the foundation of the universe with the electromagnetic spectrum. I'm probably using all the incorrect terminology here, but you get my drift, right? It's all the sciencey stuff that we learned in middle school and totally blew off. And now I wish I understood it better because it's so fascinating to realize how God created our bodies to work in sync with the earth and the light energy. You know, humans are only able to see visible light, but we encounter this entire spectrum of light energy on a daily basis. We may not see or understand how the various wavelengths of light travel around and through us, but they're there. And we know that God made all of his creation to work together and that he laid the foundation of the universe with purpose and precision, just as he knit us perfectly together in our mother's womb. I am constantly in awe of him as a creator. And this whole Genesis prescription project has been such a blessing um, because it has really illuminated that so much more for me. And I hope for you too. Okay, so day four of creation, Genesis 1.14, God says, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Okay, so God created the sun and the moon as markers of time. And we know that he created our bodies to work according to these daily and seasonal cycles of light and darkness which is called our circadian rhythm. I recently did a podcast about this called Programming Your Ideal Metabolic Rhythm. If you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and listen because it goes exactly along with this. And so I'm not going to go back into all those details, but I'll just remind you that each organ in our body has its own clock, you know, so to speak, that knows when and what to do based on the time of day. And as I mentioned in that podcast, The three most significant inputs that message our bodies about what and when to do the things, all the things, are light, sleep, and food. But light is the most influential. It is what sends the message about making cortisol and melatonin, the two key hormones that anchor us in the day and the night. There's a verse um, from Ecclesiastes 1.5 that says, The sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place it rises there again. This is like the perfect 
cortisol, melatonin verse. And it's such a good reminder that our God is the God of order. The sunrise and sunset establish order both in the universe and in our bodies. When the sun is rising, so should cortisol. When it's setting, so should cortisol. As cortisol goes down, melatonin should go up. One is our daytime hormone, one is our nighttime hormone. And it is your interaction with the light that determines how well this happens. It is why it's so wonderful for us to get morning exposure to sun and evening exposure to sun, because this messages our body to make these hormones at the right times of day. Okay. And this does not have to be some big orchestrated deal. I mean, it can be as simple as stepping outside with your cup of coffee to let the morning light into your eyes. And bonus, if you go barefoot and use that time to get your feet in the earth as well. Uh, Maybe it's sitting on your porch in the evening to watch the sunset with a glass of sparkling water or kombucha or wine. I have been doing a lot of that this week, both the morning coffee on the patio and the um, evening wine on the patio, (laughs) watching the sunrise and the sunset. It has been fabulous. Um, It could be a short morning or evening walk around the block. You know, a morning walk before you eat or an evening walk after um, you eat dinner are both fantastic for your body. I mean, really good for the circadian rhythm, really good for your metabolism. Um, So that could be something you incorporate. Maybe it's just getting outside to garden, grill, read, wash your car, play with your kids, your grandkids, or take a phone call. You know, um, normally you might be sitting inside and, and talking on the phone, step outside. You know, take your shoes off, get in your grass, talk on the phone. It's just get all this done at one time. (laughs) Be efficient. You know, I mean, again, um, it can fit organically into your life. You just have to think about doing it. Our ancestors would have done this naturally, but because our modern lives keep us largely indoors, we have to be so much more intentional about it. Um, You know, you're also going to get morning light and maybe even that evening light as you're driving back and forth to work. You just have to remember not to wear your sunglasses unless you absolutely have to because it it blocks the important signaling rays. Um, You've heard me say this before, but I'm always going to keep reminding you because I think so many of us just throw on our sunglasses out of habit or maybe fashion (laughs) rather than necessity. That's not to say don't wear sunglasses. It just means save them for when you really need them, like that stronger midday light. And if you're somebody that can't tolerate light without sunglasses, like you're uber light sensitive, um, that is often a sign of compromised adrenal function because the adrenals help regulate pupil dilation. Um, That's one of the questions on the nutritional assessment for my clients, you know, do you have to wear sunglasses? You know, do you have that, just feel compelled? You can't bear to have light in your eyes. But we have to remember that, you know, most adrenal dysfunction is a result of poor cortisol regulation, which we know can be greatly balanced by daily sun input. So it's just this one big holistic circle of health, right? The other thing we have to remember is to minimize light at night as much as possible, especially from screens, okay? Because your TV, computer, and phone screens all emit blue light which mimics the blue light from the sun that tells your body to make cortisol. Remember, light tells the body to make cortisol, dark tells the body to make melatonin. And when you keep exposing your eyes to blue light at night, your body's like, oh, keep making cortisol. 
So you're totally dipping yourself of making melatonin, which does not make for a restful night's sleep. And when you constantly throw off your cortisol melatonin cycle, you're throwing off your whole circadian rhythm, which leads to metabolic dysfunction, a higher chance of illness and dementia. And not to mention, you're just going to be plain old tired all the time. Now, I know that many of us are trying to cut those screens off earlier. And I understand it's just hard to make that happen sometimes, right? It's hard for me. If that's the case, you need to wear blue blocker glasses to help to reduce the amount of blue light shining into your eyeballs and telling your brain to make more cortisol. I remember the first time I put on blue blockers and it was like, ah, you know, angel singing. It just took the strain off. I didn't even know it was there. It's kind of like a breath of fresh air for my eyes. And blue blocker glasses aren't expensive. Um, everyone in my family has a pair. Not that that means they always remember to wear them, but uh, my oldest does. He's religious about wearing them. Um, he wears them all the time. But I try to kind of keep them spread around the house like you would reader glasses. Um, okay, I have a question for you. <clears throat> Speaking of readers or cheaters, as they call them, I might have asked you this before because I ask everybody, um, but do you call them readers or cheaters? Because I've always heard them called cheaters. But then my husband got offended when he wore he started wearing them for the first time. I was like, oh, you're so cute and you're cheaters. He was like, what? He did not like that term. I'm like, I'm not calling you a cheater. I'm just talking about your glasses. But anyway, so I, I call them readers around him, but everywhere else I call them cheaters. So I'm always wondering what people call them. Anyway, I'm not to the reader cheater glasses stage quite yet, but I'm a getting there. Probably not far off. I'm going to have to find a reader cheater blue blocker combo um okay so here's another interesting thing to consider <clears throat> when we're talking about light cortisol and metabolism and i got a lot of this from this book i read called lights out sleep sugar and survival i think it was written in the early 1990s i mean so way ahead of its time when it comes to this subject of circadian rhythm which is getting so much more attention and study um, today it's written by T.S. Wiley, who is the same woman who wrote Sex, Lies, and Menopause, which is a book I, um, I've talked about both of these books actually several times and from some early on podcast that I did. But both of these books are like blow your mind emoji, <laughs> uh, very information dense, pretty technical, but I revisit them at least once a year because it's like, as I learn more, all these classes and this education I get every year, especially the hormones class I took. Um, when I go back and revisit these books, more of it makes sense. You know, it helps um, more of the pieces kind of come together for me. So anyway, I love how this author, she ties in more hormones, um, not just cortisol and melatonin, um, and how they're all affected by light and dark and, you know, seasonal changes and our weight and our health and all that good stuff. I mean, we know that light flips on cortisol and darkness flips on melatonin, but there are more hormones that behave under the influence of daily and seasonal light, like insulin, leptin, growth hormone, prolactin, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. They are all sensitive to environmental cues, which, you know, drive our metabolic patterns. So one big concept that <clears throat> this author talks about is, you know, summer is the season of you know, it's more sun, longer light, more warmth, and therefore more plant food availability. And we have to remember plant foods are carbohydrates. Okay. So, um, naturally there are more carbohydrates 
available in summer and kind of going into that early fall. We know that carbohydrates turn to sugar in the body. So summer and early fall are the carbohydrate slash sugar season. And historically, this was the time of feasting and reproductive activity. Okay. The body could store more nutrition, you know, because there was more food, um, and it would, could store more going into winter when the times would be leaner and there would be less food availability. And then, um, and then the mom could deliver in spring friendly weather, you know, so summer was just kind of the time to eat up and be sexy. (laughs) Um, it, you know, it is the season to fatten up, um, so to speak more carbs, mean more insulin, which means more fat storage. The longer light of summer naturally cues a bigger appetite, more insulin, and a a more expanding fat base. You contrast that to the shorter days of winter, which act like the balancing off switch. You know, it's colder, darker, less food is available. And this historically would have led to naturally longer fasts and more sleep. You know, winter is the hunker down hibernation season. And like bears, I mean, our bodies do rely on stored body fat to supplement the leaner, the leaner times when there's less predictable food supply. I mean, that is how God designed our bodies. You know, um, we are designed to burn fat. And so winter is more of that fat burning season, but think about it. In modern times, we have endless light and endless food supply. We have electricity, you know, and light from screens. We have carbohydrates available year round. We can get any carbohydrate anytime, any day of the year. And plus now we have the addition of processed carbohydrates that, you know, were never available to our ancestors. And so this is one of those blurses I'm always talking about, you know, both a blessing and a curse because it is a blessing to not have to worry about food or light. But it's a curse that our bodies are kept in this perpetual light summer, you know, constant light summer fat storage mode. There's, there's no forced off switch of natural darkness or food limitation. More light equals more cortisol, more insulin, and more fat storage. More darkness equals more melatonin, more growth hormone, and more fat depletion. So for our best health, we have to you know, respect and kind of hone in and capitalize on these natural cyclical rhythms on both a daily and seasonal basis. That means eating more carbs in the summer when our bodies are naturally designed to do that and less in the winter. It also means fasting and sleeping longer in the colder months. It reminds me of this verse that I came across in Genesis 8.22, which says, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. It's like there's these balancing effects, right? The balancing effects of light and dark, heat and cold, summer and winter. They're not only meant to be present in the environment, but within our bodies as well. You know, they act like these on and off switches for our hormones as much as they do for the days, years, and seasons. We are not designed as static beings, you know, meant to be the same day in, day out, all the year through. We're meant to sync with the daily and seasonal changes. Remember, I'm always talking about how variation 
equals metabolic magic. <laughs> you know, our, our metabolisms really respond well to this. It's how we're made. It's why our number one goal in Feast of Fast is metabolic flexibility to get locked down into one mode where you're just burning carbs or just burning fat. That is not how we're designed. We want that metabolic flexibility because even though, you know, times and technology have changed, your body's original design has not. It will always need the proper input of light the way God made it, you know, respecting the way that our bodies are made in relation to creation. And sunlight is a huge part of that. And I mean, sunlight has been used medicinally for thousands of years. It's only relatively recently, like say in the past 50 years or so, that it's been shunned as a holistic therapy. I mean, ancient Egyptians used the therapeutic use of sunlight known as heliotherapy more than 3,500 years ago for skin disorders. Hippocrates, known as the father of medicine, prescribed sun baths for his patients in 400 BC. In the 1800s, Florence Nightingale, considered the founder of modern nursing, she appealed to hospital designers to include wards that were brightly lit by natural sunlight because she had seen the positive influence on patient health. In 1903, Dr. Niels Finson won the Nobel Prize for his success using ultraviolet light to treat tuberculosis. He discovered this after um, dealing with some of his own health issues for which the sun was extremely healing. Dr. Augusta Rollier, known as the Sun Doctor, opened the Institute of Heliotherapy in the early 1900s. He operated 36 high-altitude clinics and successfully treated patients with diseases like tuberculosis, rickets, smallpox, um, skin tuberculosis, and various wounds, you know, and he used that more intense level of ultraviolet light. I saw some pictures, some before and after pictures of his patients, especially with the, the skin tuberculosis and just ma- amazing the transformation. Sadly, modern quote unquote progress has overshadowed the use and interest in natural sun therapy. You know, in fact, As you know, now we're advised to avoid the sun or slather ourselves with chemical sunscreen. And that is to our detriment, for sure. I mean, the dose certainly makes the poison. And what's tolerable is going to vary by person. Like, I'm thinking about some of the beautiful redheads in my Christian health club, like Rebecca, Marjorie, Lindy, and Leslie. You know, they're not going to tolerate as much sun as someone with more olive skin, like, like I have. But we can all help our bodies better tolerate sun exposure by eating a low inflammatory real foods diet because foods that cause us fire, you know, on the outside, on the inside, like inflammation on the inside, make us more susceptible to catching fire on the outside. You know, we're going to burn. And one of the worst foods for igniting sunburn is the vegetable oil. Really, you know, the vegetable oils, sugar, And then, you know, your snacky processed foods, okay? Your hot Cheetos are going to fire you up on the inside and fire your skin up on the outside. Um, It's just so hard on your body. But eating photoprotective foods like healthy fats, organ meats, and colorful fruits and vegetables protect our bodies from burning and sun damage. Oh, gosh, I came across the... um, the cutest quote from this 
he was a heliotherapist in 1922. His name's Sir Henry Gavain. And he said, sunlight is like a good champagne. It invigorates and stimulates, but indulged to excess, it intoxicates and poisons. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, yes, because I love sun and champagne. Um, we definitely don't want to overdo it, right? But we do have to remember that we get our best dose of vitamin D from the sun. And the best time to do that is during the midday. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the vitamin D, the sun mixes with the cholesterol in our bodies, which makes the vitamin D. And it's one of the many, many reasons that you need cholesterol and that you don't want cholesterol too low. And believe me, I've been seeing lots of low cholesterol numbers on blood panels that I get back from my clients. And it kind of worries me, you know, many of them are on a statin, um, but low cholesterol will tank your hormones. It can cause dementia. There are, oh, there's so many things that it can lead to. And it worries me because I'm just seeing it so often. But anyway, I've done, I've talked about that before. Other podcasts that you can listen to, um, vitamin D. Okay. I recently heard a researcher say that you can get 10,000 units of vitamin D with a half hour of sun exposure in the summer. I mean, isn't that amazing? I mean, just naturally like jazzing your body up with vitamin D by the sun. I love it. Um, and like I said, you, you really need to get out in that midday light to make vitamin D. And the reason for that is that there are more UVB rays at that time in relation to UVA. And UVB um, is what makes the vitamin D. Um, the UVA rays are the more harmful rays. They're the ones associated with melanoma. The UVB rays are less harmful. They're the ones associated with less serious skin cancers like basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma. I mean, we don't want any of it. I'm not... Uh, it, it, we don't want any of it, but, um, you know, the latter are a little less serious and more easily rectified. Um, but here's, what's super messed up is that for decades, sunscreen only blocked UVB and not UVA. Um, also we have to know that UVB rays are the ones that trigger the tanning protection system. So when your body starts getting color, that is your signal like, Oh, we've had enough time to go inside or cover up or, you know, get some sunscreen on. Um, but the, when we, you know, use the sunscreen that blocked the UVB, then we're, we're blocking our body's internal, you know, kind of protection program. Right. And so, um, for many years, people were using sunscreen that blocked these warning rays, blocked the vitamin D, but leave, left themselves wide open to the more harmful rays. So, you know, it's no wonder that there has been this public frenzy to avoid the sun. Also, we have to keep in mind that, you know, this really kind of started what in the eighties, um, when all this kind of get out of the sun stuff was going on, we have to remember this was also the time of the food pyramid. Okay. When we're, we were told to eat a gajillion carbohydrates, you know, which all turn to sugar and to avoid fat. But if we were going to eat fat to eat vegetable oils or margarine. Okay. I mean, talk about fire on the inside. That is just a full body recipe for inflammation right there. And so, 
you know, couple that, um, you know, this people being so inflamed, getting out in the sun, burning easier, and then, you know, spraying all this sunscreen on and blocking out what we really need, but not blocking out what we don't need. I mean, oh, what a hot mess. So I just think we all need to revisit this and just kind of renew our minds around it a little bit. I have been laying out a few times a week for about 20 minutes on each side and supplementing with vitamin drops a few times a week, not every day, just a couple times a week doing that. And then trying to get out in the sun a couple times a week. And I brought my vitamin D level up from like a 24 to a 68. So I'm very pleased that I am back in the healthy range. Um, now I can tolerate, you know, 20 minutes on each side. Maybe you can only tolerate five and, you know, without sunscreen and that's fine. You know, do what you can. Some sun put is better than no sun put in, no sun input at all, you know, and maybe you can build up a bit. Again, it's going to kind of depend on, um, your genetic makeup, but, um, get out there and, and just get as much as you can without damaging yourself. Another benefit that's being studied, um, is the sunlight's effect on nitric oxide, which is a molecule produced by nearly every cell in the body. And it acts as a vasodilator for your blood vessels. So it increases blood flow and lowers blood pressure. So sun helps release nitric oxide from the skin um, and therefore helps lower blood pressure and overall cardiovascular health. Isn't that cool? I just love thinking about how God built these healing therapies like sun and grounding into creation. We just have to make a point to reconnect ourselves with it. Underexposure to sunlight is as detrimental as overexposure. You know, we need to think of the sun as an essential nutrient, just like we would think of any other of the essential nutrients that we try to get, you know, like by eating real food or vitamins or minerals. A deficiency in any essential nutrient leads to poor health. And that is the same with the sun. Research shows what our forebears instinctively knew you know that the sun boosts the immune system, kills harmful bacteria, improves skin condition, releases serotonin and endorphins, activates mitochondria, and makes vitamin D. There are so many ways that the sun benefits you. And I will point out, just like grounding, it's for free, <laughs> which is fabulous. So this should most definitely be incorporated as part of your health care routine. I found this verse from um, Isaiah 58, 8 that says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of God shall be your rear guard. I love this verse um, because to me, it brought to mind, you know, with my weird health lens that God puts over my eyeballs, it made me think that, you know, art, that light does make our healings spring up more speedily and that God always has our back. You know, we know that our mighty healer always provides and that the sun is one of his best medicines. I wish doctors would get back to describing, uh, prescribing light, <laughs> you know, uh, like they did centuries ago. Uh, but we're not going to hold our breath on that. Okay. You are your best health advocate and your mighty physician has given you all the tools that you need to be healthy, which is what the great, uh, the Genesis prescription is all about. So this week, your goal is to get out and get some sunshine. 
let that morning and evening light into your eyes and try to get some midday sun on your bare skin a few times a week. All right, my friend, this was so fun. I love being here with you and, um, and just sharing the good news of health the way God made it. It's so awesome. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.